Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to another podcast with me, Ian Gill, Agility by Nature. Fabulous guest to talk to today. I was thinking about work. When I started work, there was things known as holding companies, and they were wonderfully diverse holdings of very different companies. In fact, I worked for my dad worked for a company called Pearson's, which he didn't work for Pearson's. He actually worked for the Fairy Group, which was an engineering group, which was owned by Dalton China, which was a China group which was owned by Pearson's, which also owned, uh, owned uh, Chateau Latour wine. And one year he got a bonus of a box of wine. Marjorie Scardino sort of tidied that up a little bit. And Pearson's is much more focused on his educational activities and has shared all of that wonderful aggregate. But there's still companies that are still quite diverse and interesting. And today's guest is going to tell us a little bit about them and her job as the platform technology manager. Today's guest is Samantha Horseman. Samantha, how are you? Very well, thank you, Ian, and lovely to be here and very bright. That's very nice. Uh, bright on both ends of our, uh, our line, I think, today. Super. It's, it's super bright and rather chilly, though, so I might, uh, you know, I haven't quite got my gloves on, but it's a little bit cool. You work for the Wellcome Trust. Um, some people may know about the Wellcome Trust. A lot of people don't. Could you just give a little bit of a, a description of what the Wellcome Trust does, but also some of its diversity so we can understand what we're dealing with here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I think the diversity of Wellcome could take the rest of the podcast, but I'll try and keep it, <laughs> keep it, um, keep it brief and focus the point. So um, Wellcome is an independent charitable foundation um, and we support research to improve health uh, globally around the world. So we are based in London. That's our, our main office. We have a small contingent office in Germany as well, which was set up only um, two, three years ago, I think now. And really, our primary mission is to solve urgent health challenges that face everybody. Um, so that in itself, incredibly broad um, statement, um, incredibly important in today's environment as well. Um, you know, yourself, myself, everybody has been affected by the health challenges of today over the last over the last year. Um, where we talk about diversity really is that welcome as a as this independent charitable foundation to be able to do what we do and operate effectively we have um, pretty much every discipline sitting under one roof which um, is both fascinating um, stressful intriguing um, fast-paced and and definitely keeps us thinking so uh, in our office in London we have um, very traditional office setup but next door we have a 1930s building called Welcome Collection um, if uh, hopefully people have heard of it and had an opportunity to visit and um, a shameless plug they'll hopefully be reopening again in May um, so uh, it will be open and Covid safe for people to go and visit and that's a free free destination for the incurably curious um, so that's Henry Welcome's legacy really of all of the items um, that he gathered but this idea that actually um, talking about the human condition and everything that's involved is is really part of understanding and being progressive and being able to move forward and um, we support that in uh, digital and technology so that's the kind of IT department that I sit in and there is a world-renowned library with tens of thousands of digitized images um, rare materials books paintings um, that are open access and we're very um, very proud of the open access we've been able to do in the digitization project there 
Um, but we are also uh, a privately funded charitable uh, foundation. So um, we don't take uh, government grants. We don't do sort of traditional fundraising that you'll see in other museums and galleries and organizations. Um, so we have a professional investments uh, team and they operate very much like a, a sort of city trading floor. Um, and they, they work out of our London offices primarily. So between having incredible open access, um, how can we get as many people viewing things as possible, all the way to um, the traditional investment bank, and then everything in between, uh, legal teams, HR teams, um, a facilities and workplace team, obviously an IT team, but then huge uh, grant giving um, funding divisions that actually work with um, you know, tens of thousands of external grant holders and people applying for um, grants to welcome. Um, and they're all very much science-based. They're, um, they're potentially ex-researchers, scientists and everything in between. Um, and then our board of governors, uh, again, a diverse uh, group of people, but quite often scientists um, and people on the forefront of, of Welcome's mission. So it is uh, an incredible place to work. I have learned lots of things whilst working there. I've learned lots of things about self-cleaning glass and um, biochemistry that I never knew before. Staff meetings are like going back to school sometimes to hear about the work that we do. Um, but really the challenge that I face working in, in an IT department and in my role, so um, platform technology manager, probably need to explain that what does it mean if anyone can explain that to me that would be great <laughs> I, I did wonder because i thought so your, your finance banking grant giving museum and research center they can't surely just be one platform <laughs> God, <there's> a <laughs> lot of variety of things solving and supporting all of that a absolutely so i i look after an incredibly um uh, diverse but uh, clever bunch of third line engineers so I look after our cloud infrastructure our traditional infrastructure engineers our end user compute team um, our networking team um, uh, our SQL database team and then uh, some project managers that deal with our change so I have a colleague that I work very closely with who looks after the applications portfolio and um, whether that's software as a service or whether that's something that my team host and look after and um, but really kind of any platform that is uh, interacted with by user whether they know it or not you know yeah. um, that's that's looked after by my team and just the the day-to-day -day is is fascinating but challenging um, through all the people that we have to we have to support um, technology moves faster than I think any of us can keep up with at the minute right yeah. so um, uh, we have so much uh, so many people out in the organization that are um, keeping their eye on what's going on they want to use the best tools the most collaborative tools they want you know the fastest user experience they can get they're doing incredible things with machine learning um, with uh, websites communications um, finance tools to do all of our grant giving and uh, how we do that on an enterprise base with a with a, that diverse set of users who either want uh, us to talk to them all the time or talk to them hardly any of the time um, <laughs> is uh, makes 90% of my job a communicator I think rather than a technology person. That's really interesting I mean uh, uh, 
the scientists, I suppose, are quite different from the curators, and the curators are probably very different from the finance and, and grant givers as well. So I suppose you've got to be a bit of a, a real engager of different types of cat, and everyone's special, aren't they? Absolutely. Ev- everyone is a VIP. Everyone is everyone is special. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, whether you're a support service and welcome or you're on the front line um, working with people globally uh, on their projects, on their research um, grants, um, it all has to drive towards the vision and the mission. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah. without without the building operating effectively, without people being able to, um, you know, in in pre-COVID and hopefully shortly post covid times yeah, or certainly yeah. um being able to come into the building collaborate have meetings conferences um work together network with people even without the physical building um you know welcome loses a little bit of something so being able to support um facilities at the same time as being able to um ensure that we're giving out that billion pounds a year which is the target every year for us is to give out a billion pounds in um, grant giving and uh, funding support um, globally um, makes it makes it interesting in a world where everything is evergreen I think I've I've learned I love the word evergreen when we talk about my garden I hate the word evergreen when we talk about platforms um that's uh, I've learned to hate the word evergreen windows evergreen operating systems uh you know nothing is static for five years anymore um Microsoft love to drop us an update every two months and when you have a when you have a workforce so focused on ensuring that they're doing the right thing then then updates, even just from a user education point of view, you know, people don't want the buttons in Word to change position. They don't. They don't want the start menu to look different to the way that they did before. Um, but these, you know, these things have to go along. And so, IT is is as much about support and communicating and understanding that user journey. Um, and that's very true for for infrastructure, for, for networks, you know, we have to understand the user journey. IT can't happen to people. They've got to happen with people, yeah. which I think is a, is a huge step change for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And actually, when we were talking uh, yesterday, um, one of the things you talked about was infrastructure, but the use of Agile. And Agile is very classically products and software. We said, oh, no, 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 we, 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 we went for Agile in the infrastructure. And I thought, that's really interesting because that's classically where people say, no, you can't do it there. Yeah. Can't be done. So I thought, well, it can be done by the sounds of it. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Yeah. So when I when I joined the team, um, we were very much a traditional kind of waterfall um, uh, waterfall uh, outfit. So I, I came from a project management background. Um, you know, I've done my Prince2 training. Um, no one ever runs a Prince2 project anyway. You know, if you run a Prince2 project, you spend about 3,000 hours just writing documentation and you don't get anything done. So no one really truly does a Prince2 project in, in my view. But um, the IT department, we've changed a lot since our uh, chief information officer, James Thomas, joined us about four years ago now, I think. I, I've been there 11 years, so I still see him as the new kid on the block, but he's, he's very firmly got his, his, uh, his feet under the table. Um, so the, uh, the IT department was seen as, you know, enterprise, um, slow, a bit yeah. stagnant. Um, it was all about keeping as much as possible, you know, put it under lock and key in, in the building, keep everything on premises and things stay like that for, you know, five years. Everything is depreciated by finance in five or seven year terms. Okay. 
therefore IT doesn't have to change. Um, but it meant that we we didn't have a great PR with the rest of the organisation because the rest of the organisation needed progress. They needed things to happen quicker. Um, there was a real disconnect, I think, between really understanding a user asking for something and IT just being a bit irritated that they had to change something. Yeah. So great, you know, great example um, prior to us moving to Office 365, you know, IT are going, we have ticked every box you know this is safe this is secure this is backed up this is um you know we have resilient data centers we have off-site um disaster recovery we have ticked every box in the it book um but for users users were saying well you know you've you've given me a laptop that allows me to work from home but when i work from home i can't seem to get half my documents because the authentication was uh, users don't know that all they see is I need to work on this document and I now have to email it to myself and email it back to myself so that when I get into the building I can save it into the right place so so really understanding that user journey from what is the infrastructure that you're providing somebody all the way to well how is the user actually engaging with it there was a disconnect what I found with agile was you know, and, and I know I've t spoken to many Prince2 practitioners who will tell me, oh, but you do all of this with Prince2. Agile for me recenters and refocuses all of us that the user is, is central to everything that we have to do. The principles of Agile, the principles of Agile, what used to be DSDM, which is now Agile PM, it it forces everybody to go, well, actually, what is it that the user needs? And at every point of the journey in doing something, are you checking back that this is still the right product? So even if you start ticking all of the, what is now the GDPR boxes, the information security boxes, the you know ISO 27001 boxes, make sure that you never dive divert from the can the user actually use it can the user interact with this when they are going to vietnam to a major overseas program can they get the documents that they need when they don't have great wi-fi connection is there some ability that allows for that flexibility that says you might not have a great um infrastructure in the country that you're in when you're trying to work what happens if people are in different time zones and we don't have follow the sun support you know do you have automation in that helps kind of self-healing and people um to be able to self-diagnose like many of us do when we're working from home and all of those things for me agile helps us to focus around and and people people quite often argue with me well you know in infrastructure you can't you, you know you can't be agile how do you iteratively develop you know, uh, implementing a data center, you know, your, your SAN and your hosts and your VMs are on or off. There is no continuous iteration. Right. Well, yeah, that's fine. But agile doesn't have to be about it's 100% agile or you never do it. As I said, I've never run a true Prince2 project, but I've definitely run Waterfall. I just haven't followed the methodology 100% to the, to the letter of the law, but it's still Waterfall. It still has those dependencies and you go down it. For Agile, it allows us to be far more flexible and far more um, iterative in the way that we think about how we do things. So even if we get to the point that we turn a blinky box off and turn a different blinky box on, um, there's no iterative development there. There's no kind of um, uh, incremental change. 
But everything that's led us to that point, everything that says when we turn that blinky box on, when we change the firewalls like we did a couple of years ago, we've actually spent time going through what's whitelisted, what's blacklisted, you know, what URLs do people need to get to. I used to work in Welcome Collection and I can tell you now that there are things on our there are things that we had to research in welcome collection about the human condition that are traditionally blocked on firewalls and that (laughs) that then having to be whitelisted every time you have to kind of go up to it and say yes i i definitely need to um look at this website that's about sexual aids because we're doing an uh, an exhibit about sex and it's very important that we talk about you know sexual aids and then you have to explain to it why you need that whitelisted all of a sudden when traditionally those kinds of things you know are blacklisted all of all of those by the time we turn off one firewall and turn on the other firewall, we've done all of the user interaction to say, well, actually, this isn't just about do the firewalls do the job? This is about have we enabled the organisation to do what they're here to do? And actually, some of this is out of date. Some of this isn't relevant to people in Welcome Collection because actually they need to look at things. Um, some things out there need an extra level of protection because we have the technology available to us and actually we know that we do get targeted for phishing um, requests we do get targeted for malware and and you know bitcoin requests so actually we need to leverage that but how does the user interact with it and let's make sure we don't go so over and above that we stop people doing their day job so Yes, I I suppose with the caveat, people will say, well, you're not being truly agile then because you're not writing bits of code. But I don't think being agile, having agility or flexibility is about you just have to write bits of code. It's about why are you doing the job that you're doing? And it goes back to that point of IT shouldn't be done to people. It should be done with people to make them more effective because actually, you know, we're not in the 1950s. IT is part of everyone's day job now whether they realize it or not and when I started at welcome 11 years ago there was definitely a feeling of you know I'm not here to do IT IT just needs to work but actually that step change now is getting to the point where people are saying oh I want IT to work but actually look at what I can do with IT look what I can do with the tools and the things that are given to me and look what I can achieve with that you know the idea of being able to talk to welcome library and say look we can set you up all of the clever infrastructure stuff in AWS Azure that says if you find a new library product um, they're looking at some accessibility products now to try and improve the accessibility of our collections for um, people uh, with varying amounts of disability um, well, we can provide you all the stuff. You, you don't even have to sit at a physical computer that's like got special permissions around it. You can sit at home and we'll give you a login and you just go and log in, play around with the software, get people to go in and test it, get some of your users to go in and test it. And we'll give you all of that ability wherever you are in the world. You can talk to key stakeholders in the States if you want and get them to go and test kind of visual aid software to be able to look at paintings and knock yourself out and when you've picked one let us know and we'll we'll do the rest that used to be go and sit in a room in the building with a pc that was not connected to anything so that nothing could you know download a virus and 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 panic that they don't have that because they can't get into the physical building so even just being able to do that from a user point of view they don't need to know how the blinky boxes work 
but we can play around and do all of those things and make that happen without without the user seeing it and that's the really exciting bit of where we are but people now see that IT is helping them and and they actually want to be involved they're actually interested they're asking me about VMs and networking and and what it is and people are you know people are asking me how we code things and I'm like well that's different from 11 years ago where I was told if you're in welcome collection you're not there to do IT <laughs> now everyone's doing a bit of IT it's exciting I'll just expand my empire and hire everybody in the building to come and work in my team I think, I think it's, it's, it's interesting you know agile the label was very unhelpful um but what was really striking is how very quickly you got to you know, you, you, you're centering around users it's how do we interact with users what do they need how do they operate what works for them um so putting feedback into that and I think a lot of people kind of jump to Agile as the method, the framework or whatever, as an alternative to another framework, making prints. And actually you're just saying, no, it's about the humans. The rest of it, yeah, we'll have to deal Absolutely. with it. Absolutely. And actually people aren't getting really, I suppose, as lockdown. It, we always have had our preferences. Yeah, you know, there's people who like using Macs, there's people who like using PC. I personally prefer Zoom over Teams and Teams pro, I prefer Teams over Google. Um, but do you think people are now becoming even more intimate with their technology and finding little tools? Oh, that's good. That's handy. That makes my presentations better. Or do you, you're seeing more of that going on now, or is it just a general move? No, I think you're you're absolutely spot on. And there is a um, the it sort of goes back to where I think our department was, you know, three or four years ago. Um, and I remember, uh, you know, I re I remember when I first moved into the IT department. Um, hearing really interesting conversations about you know somebody has come forward and requested um a project management tool a bit of project management software and you you hear lots of people sitting around going oh well we've 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 already got ms project you know just get them a license oh but they need to write a business case because the license is separate to our other license so we need a business case from their manager why why they need ms project and you know thus ensues a 10 minute conversation about whether well, this one individual is is allowed a license for MS project and I'm sitting there thinking about it thinking well they won't have asked for a bit of project management software for fun it's probably because they need to do something but they didn't even ask for MS project you know they asked for whatever the equivalent was at the time you know the asanas the monday.coms that yeah. kind of thing they didn't ask for MS project um so you're now going to force Microsoft project on them and I sat there as a project manager and, and I said, could I ask a really stupid question? And I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ask a, it, no question stupid. And I went, Microsoft Project's horrible. <laughs> it's really difficult to use. And they didn't ask for it. How have we got to the point that a user said, can I have this? Which I think is arguably a cheaper license cost than having MS Project. And now, now their manager has to write a business case to give that user Microsoft project that they didn't want in the first place. It's more expensive than the thing they asked for, just because it's the thing we've decided we support. That's nuts to me. Fast forward three or four years. And now, you know, with the help of our leadership team, you know, with James Thomas and, and, and all the varying people in IT, we've started shifting that to say, well, well, actually, what is the problem that we're trying to solve? And the problem that we're trying to solve isn't IT have chosen a thing and therefore everyone needs to have a thing. The problem we're trying to solve is, is just licensing, isn't it? Because when you get down to it, 
Um, many, many companies require businesses to have proper business licensing or enterprise licensing. So actually the risk to welcome, if we talk about risk, is, you know, if you've got a staff of 800 people and 400 of them are using Slack and we don't have a Slack business account, then Slack will have uh, raised that risk to welcome because that's not the way that we should be operating. So actually, why get in the way of people doing the most effective and the most um, effective? proactive thing that they could be doing to to do the job that they're there to do to achieve the strategy the vision and the mission do the incredible work that we do globally for the sake of us saying what because we don't want to buy an enterprise license for something i that that is now trying to change and and a lot of people are having that much more user-centric focus of well why do we care we care because we need to make sure it's licensed properly we need to make sure it's gdpr compliant we need to make sure it hits that information security tick boxes and that people aren't at risk of you know being hacked of losing information of losing data but after you get past that I don't care if people want to use monday.com. I use Liquid Planner. No one's heard of Liquid Planner. I love Liquid Planner. My team, my team live their agile life out of Liquid Planner. But our audiovisual team use monday.com because they just need something totally high level to use. And I tell you what, no one uses MS Project, partly because I think I've gone on a one woman war against MS Project, but I've, I've said it's really difficult to use and it's not what the user needs to have. So that's quite interesting. But then when you get down to it, and I, you know, I hate to use the term because it's probably the bane of my life for the last three years is unified communications. Yeah. You then get down to that, that sticking point of going, when you do have to your very salient point, you know, you prefer Zoom, um, uh, you prefer Teams over other things. In Welcome, we have Teams, we have Blue Jeans, and we have Slack. Yeah. And the, the Slack and the Teams contingent the slack, the slack and the team's factions and welcome are strong. I'm, I'm, I'm hardcore on the side of slack. There are other people who are hardcore on the side of teams. Um, there are some of us who will open both. But as an IT department, there is, as a, as a digital and technology department, there is something missing there, which is saying, actually, by allowing that organic growth into multiple platforms, we are missing that we are missing the opportunity to keep people connected and to yeah. make that user experience um, slick. So actually, I think where we were three or four years ago, it was a very black and white conversation. It was IT irritated, everyone else wants something different. Now we're so far on the other side, there is this really interesting gray area in how do you keep people enabled and facilitate them to do the work, but you're going to have to put in a few little rules and regulations. Otherwise, you do end up with your factions on both sides. Yeah. And that's where now the journey that my team are going through, because I have such an incredible diverse um, skill set, is uh, integration and middleware and and actually how do we let people stay on slack how do we let people stay on teams but how do we make sure that the organization is connected and doesn't it mean that every user has to open up 17 different platforms to make sure that when they want to speak to it they're on that platform when they want to speak to the comms team they're on that platform and when they want to work with uh, facilities and workplace they're on that platform and And it's so interesting 
Um, I mean, I'm an ancient historian academically, so I, I love the cyclical nature of, of human beings. Um, but it's so interesting to have seen that evolve from such a such a us and them conversation three or four years ago to this bit now where actually it's just not that simple. Mm. IT can't be done to people, but if you let everybody use everything, even if you do all of that licensing, if you do that infosec kind of check, the organization will not realize that they're missing they're, they're missing something in the middle, which is we are not huge. We're 800 to 1,200 people at any one time. But then um, we need we need to keep people connected and we need to we need to make sure that people have a common language, you know, that people are able to share things in the same way. If we had half the organization on Google Docs and half the organization on Office 365, how does one person easily share a document with somebody else in the same way? And all of that opens up a whole, whole new challenge. Um, and that's really the kind of next iteration of where Welcome is going and my team are very much involved in that. I'm really fascinated about that because when you said about, I don't care as long as it's safe and it's compliant, use what you like. I could just had this vision in my mind of a thousand CIOs weeping and wailing and that. <laughs> No, 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 that is the way to madness. It must be aligned. And then you went straight to it. You said, yeah, actually, we've moved from one size fits all to now we've got this diaspora. How do we keep the organisation? Because there's a very good reason. Some people love Slack. But yeah. most people contact me on bloody WhatsApp. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and now people are swarming away from WhatsApp for various reasons. And you think, well, so I do have, as you say, nine different things that are used that people quite regularly contact me on um so in an organization i mean how do you how do you foresee that it will we do you think you'll say there'll be a basket of things you can choose or do you think um and and, and you can apply to get new things how do you see that arbitrage between alignment and personal choice working out yeah it's a it's a great question. So I think um, my my leader, um, Eileen Jennings-Brown, has a great sentence that she says um, to me, and then she always follows it up with, I should probably explain that at some point. Yeah. Um, so she, she has a great line that she says to me, which is, we need to have an environment that anyone can plug into in a safe way. Yeah. And I think that's a great line. Her and I then have really fascinating conversations that could go on for hours and, and take up 10 more of your podcasts about what does that actually mean? And how do you practically make that happen in a, in a safe and secure way and be as flexible as possible? I think, I think the next stage for us is, to, is probably twofold. It's, it's recognising, and this is, this is sort of where we're getting to, that there are there are things that IT or digital and technology in, in my world can support and will support. So actually, you know, use Teams or use Slack. That's absolutely fine for your instant messaging. We will, we will then go to provide a platform and we're looking into some of them now, some of the people who can provide um, connectivity between those two. So you can message someone out of Slack and into Teams and vice versa, because this is a common problem. But actually, you know, that that's that's where we we end it those are those are two really really popular tools we're not then going to say we're going to take on 
you know, um, WhatsApp and Google Instant Messaging and all these other different ways of doing it. These are the two that the organisation use, but they are two very different tools and they're two um, very different interactions. The key, going back to the conversation about Agile, is the feedback loop mm. and that actually that decision gives clarity, that that decision um, uh, that we've already made with our users that we have these two factions going on um, uh, is how we've taken uh, that information and gone, okay, so where can we add the value? Well, actually we can add the value by making sure the people in both of these platforms can communicate. But then this is where we stop. However, we don't stop the thinking of it. We don't stop, um, we don't stop taking that feedback loop that actually in six months or three months or nine months or whatever it is, we're going to sit down and we're going to look at it again. And it'll be hard work to get to that point. But actually, if Slack is then um, consumed out of by, by something else and the new next shiny thing comes along and all of a sudden you see lots of people going, oh, but it's got this great feature that, you know, Slack just doesn't have. And, you know, as an organisation, we're thinking of it. Well, then then we've got to be reactive. You, there can't be the eye roll of like, oh, but we just finished that project. We just got there to, to, to make this work for you. And now you want to change. It's got to be, well, actually, if it then gives you this great new feature that we didn't know before, or it plugs in in a different way, then absolutely, as we've just got to pivot round and we've got to take that on board. And, you know, we've got to be um, agile and flexible enough to start it up. I do think... Um, you have to be a little bit unpopular though be and you have to just kind of make those statements um there is a there's a great there's a great conversation at the moment about um document documentation so the the bugbear of all it departments everywhere where does the single source of truth live well if you sit on one side of our department it lives in sharepoint if you if you sit on another side of our department uh, this is the platform technology. This is the this is Armspear. Sits in Confluence because Confluence is a lot easier than SharePoint. If you sit on the service desk, it sits in ServiceNow because they use ServiceNow. ServiceNow has a horrible wiki interface, <laughs> which Confluence is much easier to do, and you can do approvals and you can you can do all that stuff. If you sit in the digital team, it sits in Notion. That's where your single source of truth is. So. Then all of a sudden you're going, you've got two decisions to make. Do you tell people they can't use something and you cut it down? Or do you look at something like um, AWS Kendra, which has plugins for multiple platforms that allows a search functionality across anything? So actually it's supposedly super simple to then say, I need a document that tells me about the firewalls and it will go to all of those places and it will just come back and say, oh, this is in Confluence. And then you'll be able to have access to it. Sometimes you're going to have to be unpopular, aren't you? And just say, well, actually, you know, we can't give the right time and effort into all of these places, but we can do SharePoint because we're in Office 365. We can do ServiceNow because that's our service desk tool for the organisation. We can do Confluence because it's grown, or we can do Notion. But actually somebody, whether that's me or the head of digital, are probably going to have to give up the the effort on one of them and move across to the other and it's it's going to be unpopular but then you come back to well here's the benefit because actually now we've cut it down here's a great product that plugs into all of them and it means that you can search across all of them and we're not forcing anyone to have to use one or the other um so to your question where do i see it going being unpopular 
<laughs> that's where I see it going. But making making clarity and then actually having this kind of innovation mindset, this iterative mindset where we we are no longer sitting there. And this is this is something I'm I'm so passionate about with my team. My team are so incredibly clever and they're so on the pulse with technology. These people should not be sitting there pressing the red button at 3 p.m. every Tuesday because that's what it needs. That's what automation is for. These people should be out there saying Dell or VMware or HP or AWS or Azure have dropped all of this new stuff. We think it's super sexy. Infrastructure is sexy. I completely agree with that. It is amazing. I'm now going to go out to this set of users in the digital um, design team in the communications and branding team and say, did you know that this is this incredible new product in AWS or Adobe Cloud or whatever that does all of this stuff? Let's sit down and see if this helps you. And if it does help you, how can we make this work for you? And, and we're much more in the proactive sense. And getting rid of that legacy, getting rid of, you know, and a third line engineer's job is to to press the red button at 3 p.m. every Tuesday. It's yeah. to change a disk in a SAN. It's to plug in a network port is so antiquated that actually we all become communicators and we all just become almost computing educators. And we're just out there going, I know what you do. And there's this really sexy bit of tech. How do we bring that together? And then how do we pivot the organization and be agile enough to make that work? And, and that's where I think the future of kind of agile infrastructure and networking um, networking is. You've just got to get both sides of the fence. You've got to get IT people wanting to go out and, and do that. And you've got to get um, the organization capacity to, to be receptive to it and, and not feel they're just bothered with change all of the time. And that's such a, a fine balance. Um, we're, we're definitely still figuring it out. Well, I don't know about anybody else, but I thought thinking, well, I want to work at the Welcome Trust because <laughs> this sexy infrastructure. <laughs> I mean, not, if someone said, do you fancy working in a not-for-profit? I said, I'm not sure I would. Um, an infrastructure, I'm not sure I would. But actually, you've probably sold both to me, actually. <laughs> well, that's all I came on here for, is make, make infrastructure sexy again. <laughs> but... And, and something you mentioned right at the beginning, or earlier, I should say, is your your degrees in um, ancient history. Um, I think you did a postgrad as well um, in that area. And there you here you are at the sexy side of uh, technology of infrastructure. Um, but so you're not technical. Per I'm not a technical person. You're not a technical person. I think, but you're managing these wonderful technical people. So how how does the non tech person manage the very tech people? Oh, um, I'd, I'd love you to ask my team that question. Maybe you should get well, them on a podcast <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, and see what their response is. So I think I, I had the wonderful opportunity within Welcome to go on to comment to the IT department as a project manager. And that's one of the great things about Welcome is, is because we're every discipline under one roof, you if you if you want it and you look for that change and you have that ambition, welcome out are really supportive of that. So um, my my father has been in IT since um, machine programming days. Right. And I at the age of 12 or 13, you know, I, I was 
building computers with bits that he had lying around the house and, and uh, I, I have uh, and maybe I, a bit more technical than you were laying on. a bit a bit more technical that stopped at about the age of 16 so I would say you know if you if you gave me like a Pentium 100 I'm well away but <laughs> any anything more more modern I, I I ain't changing no hard disks today but you know great great memories of of me having to um copy files across um hard disks and him coming home and I had two computers open and one mastered and slaved to the other one and he just went please just put it back together when you're done um and great memories of that completely went against it when I don't want to be in IT this is not where my it's a good hobby to have and I'm glad that I can do things with computers I'm not really fussed about um doing it as a as a career went off and and did a ancient history which I absolutely loved did did a postgrad ended up in the museum gallery had the opportunity to go up to IT because I thought well let's go and play in a different world right let's just yeah. you know I'm I, I still I've got a smartphone I've got a laptop I I remember what technology is all about um I think one of the things that helped was I came with such a different way of thinking because I yeah. came from yeah. a very different project management background and I hadn't other than being a user interacting with technology like we all do with our phones and things, I I had I didn't know what a SAN was and I didn't know what a VM was. I didn't really know how enterprise worked. Um, I sat down, I, I was given the task to review our storage infrastructure, which then became our cloud first um, program. And had all these technicians saying, we've got three SANs and we've got 16 hosts. And I was sitting there thinking, I don't have a Scooby, what you're talking about. Like, is this relevant to me? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? So I sat down and did what I like to call GCSE infrastructure <laughs> and just went, just tell me like I don't know anything because I don't and draw it in pictures and I will try and get their, my brain into gear as quickly as possible. I love that sense of learning. I love that sense of, of knowing things. But it's this, I view it, I view my role as a project manager now as a leader of a team the same way that I do if I go into a car um, uh, garage, right? So I take my car into the garage and I know that the engine is making a clicky noise that it wasn't making before. I probably want to know just enough to not get ripped off so that they can't go oh oh it's your flux capacitors gone on your blinky box and you know buy your carburetor it's gonna cost you three thousand pounds and your car's only worth two thousand so you might as well just give it to us yeah yeah you know i want to know just enough to go it's definitely not the flux capacitor because i've heard that term before and it definitely wasn't in a car garage um but i don't need to know how to fix it otherwise why am i going to the car garage i should probably just get myself some tools and do it myself i view this the same way my team I need to know enough that if they have an argument about the best solution and I have such incredibly passionate people in my team that they will at times come up with completely different solutions to a problem I need to know just enough to help them figure out what the best solution is but they're there to do the incredible things that they do and because they are technical they are problem solvers and they are there to to push welcome forward my job is to do the politics my job is to go off and communicate to others it's to manage other managers it's to look at the strategy and it's to connect the dots and um, thankfully as a historian 
uh, and an ancient historian where you don't have many dots to connect. I spent many years learning how to connect dots and, and figure out things that you just don't know. And so that's where I think that skill comes in handy because actually they, they have come up with some amazing solutions. My, my network manager completely re-architected the network in AWS. My job was to go, if you're going to spend all of your time doing this over a couple of months, um, convince me that it's worthwhile me paying you to do that. And he sat down and went, well, yeah, but look at this. And when we do this and when somebody has to come in from there and when somebody has to come in, a third party has to come in from here. And if we need to lock off uh, the security over here, we can do that. And it doesn't affect the people over there. And I was like, cool, crack on. Like, I just need to know the outcome at the end of it. Why, why sell it to me in a way that is just a no brainer? And I know that they all have that. My, my cloud infrastructure engineers do it every day. My infrastructure engineers are doing it today with our data center hardware refresh. My SQL database guy does it every day in how he's going to consolidate and make um, information more accessible to everybody. My end user compute people are doing it. Ever since COVID hit, they've had to do funky things with laptops. How do you do a Windows OS upgrade remotely on somebody's Wi-Fi network that might be a bit dodgy? Mm, yeah. You know, if you can convince me, who knows nothing about the technical detail, I trust you to have the detail, the expertise and the knowledge to do the thing. Just convince me it's worthwhile me paying you or the organization paying you to do it. And normally after about five minutes, I'm like, crack on all day long tell me what you need, let me get the blockers out of the way for you, go and talk to the agile delivery manager to make sure it gets planned in. And at the end of it, make sure you shout about it, make sure the sexy infrastructure that you've just changed, which you've spent two months doing, which no one will even notice if you're not in platform technology, but has all of this outcome that benefits the organization. All I ask is shout about it to as many people as possible. And that's how we make infrastructure sexy again. Brilliant. Brilliant. Sam, we've come to the end, but I foresee your next role will be marketing director. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? I, I love a job title change. I do. Ten, 11 years, I've had 10 job titles. Let's go. Let's do the next one. Sam, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your, your world. And I love the way you brought humans into the blinky box world uh, and real people. Uh, interactive technology makes it sound really fun and 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 I think a lot of people will want to know more about Welcome Trust so I'll put a link at the bottom of the podcast so they can see some of the open access materials perhaps that you can guide us to. Samantha thank you very very much it's uh, now getting on for 11 o'clock so it's a cup of tea for me and uh, I might have to walk the dog because she's looking very frisky at the moment. <laughs> thank you so much for your time I very much appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to come and share the story. And um, yeah, I'm always happy to talk about it with anyone who's interested. And, and please do go look at the website, come to Welcome Collection when it reopens. Um, there is always something for everybody. And um, if you like to learn things, there will be things you've never thought of before. I'm there. Thank you very <laughs> much. Goodbye now. Bye bye.